Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and the CEO of JP Morgan is notorious for bashing blockchain and Bitcoin. He was the king of FUD in the bull of 2017 and 2018. Nobody said more bad things and probably influenced the market more than Jamie Dimon. And then JP Morgan comes out with a cryptocurrency. JP Morgan coin on the blockchain took us all by surprise. But what is it? Is it the next Bitcoin? Is it just the next Ripple? Is it neither? Well, here today, we're going to go through 101 on JP Morgan Coin and figure out what it is, what it isn't, and what it's going to be used for, and what it could possibly be used for in the future. But before that, please, wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed, leave us a rating and a comment. Also, go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a comment there. It helps us stay visible. iTunes is wonderful for keeping people visible as long as there's engagement. So help us out, get engaged, and leave us a rating and a comment on iTunes. Also, if you like this episode, please share it on your social media with your friends, your family, and help spread the show. Crypto 101 also can use your support. So if you would like to donate to Crypto 101, go to our Patreon page. You can find our Patreon page on Crypto101podcast.com up at the support button. Click Patreon and donate to the show and help support these podcasts. And don't forget, this is not financial advice, trading advice, personal advice, or legal advice. And thank you to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode. Without further ado, let's learn about JP Morgan Coin, and I want to say thank you to Helen for editing this episode. We'll see you after the show. Ben Jessel, Head of Growth for Cadena. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Matthew, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. Sir, before we get into this conversation today about JP Morgan's coin, the rise of institutional cryptocurrency, could you please, sir, briefly introduce yourself? Sure. So I head up growth at uh, Kidena, which is a blockchain company that was founded by the founders of JP Morgan's Juno blockchain. We'll talk more about that later. So we are an organization that uh, has been going since about 2016. And in my role, I am predominantly focused on uh, growing our portfolio of enterprise clients today. My history is that I've been working at mainly consultancies, uh, helping them understand or their clients understand how to tackle uh, rather amorphous technologies uh, and concepts such as emerging technology and blockchain. Uh, the kind of projects I've worked in in the past have included uh, Wall Street processing of equity derivatives using the blockchain, a large syndicated lending blockchain project, uh, which should be going live this year, uh, which will address $2 trillion of notional um, uh, lending in the marketplace, as well as other uh, more strategic uh, projects, uh, helping on the planning business case and then also the execution of them. And that's what led me to join Cadena, uh, where I'm really kind of helping on building that enterprise portfolio by taking the business strategy and the technology and putting them together. Thank you, sir. You said that the Juno blockchain was developed by JP Morgan. Why would a bank or JP Morgan develop a blockchain? So if you think about all of these major banks, they do spend a certain percentage of their P&L on R&D because they need to look for ways to be more efficient because the overall context of capital markets is that there is um, an increasing move to commoditization within investment banking in particular. That means that uh, costs are becoming under a lot of pressure. And in particular, um, not just costs, but the ability to use balance sheets in a way which uh, is far more efficient than before, particularly with a lot of these new rules around Basel III, Dodd-Frank, etc. Banks can't use their balance sheet in the way they used to before. Therefore, the uh, ability to improve aspects such as settlement 
means that they can use their balance sheets in better ways and therefore effectively lend the money that they have on their books that may be tied up through uh, long settlement processes in a far more efficient way. So Jamie Morgan is certainly looking at this from an efficiency play, uh, both from operational efficiency, but also balance sheet play as well. And, you know, obviously they are looking to continue to be uh, leaders in financial technology, and they have a, a real history of uh, breaking the mold on, on, on new uh, uh, products and uh, new technologies. You mentioned that banks aren't able to use their balance sheet as before. What does that mean? So... And all of that really does stem back to the financial crisis, uh, the Glass-Steagall Act, for example. And really, banks prior to the financial crisis had a, an ability to uh, be into certain positions um, which may have a higher risk profile. So what I mean by that is that they were able to hold uh, lower quality assets and take more risks with uh, the money of their retail customers, for example, uh, through deposits. And increasingly, as you know, the fallout from the mortgage crisis, uh, the financial crisis, led to a review of some of the, kind of the risk processes of these large banks. And a number of requirements were put on these institutions, uh, which uh, placed a limiting factor on what they could do with their money. So they had to prove, for example, that they had sufficient reserves in the case of a certain crisis. And there were a number of simulations that were performed for these, uh, um, uh, these events to determine what a stress event would look like. You know, if um, institutions and individuals pulled their money, do they have enough reserves that are liquid that they could actually use uh, to, to actually resolve some of these challenges? And that means that you can't be exposed to as a risky asset and as liquid positions as you can in the past, which means that you have to have a far better understanding of where your money is at any point in time and where your money is being tied up in the settlement process. And if you look at, for example, syndicated lending, where your money can be tied up for uh, an average of nine days, that's an awful lot of money sitting on the sidelines that can't be used and also can't necessarily be put towards your uh, your liquidity ratio uh, targets that are being mandated uh, increasingly today. That seems like a practice I wish that some of these crypto exchanges had. That would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It would. <laughs> the history of JP Morgan, Bitcoin slash blockchain is a bit controversial, let's just say. Jamie Dimon has been quoted many times calling Bitcoin a scam. It seems as though the whole time Bitcoin was starting to jump and ramp up in 2017 to about 20,000, maybe not JP Morgan, but Jamie Dimon was verbally attacking and assaulting the crypto space. Why would he do that if JP Morgan was developing on the blockchain behind the scenes? That is a very good question. And um, it certainly makes for a very good headline. But I think this is very much something that's been misconstrued because the actual reality is probably a little bit more mundane than, than the story of you know, JP Morgan on one side and crypto anarchists on the other may, may provide. And to really kind of put it into context, you, know, you have to think about when these statements were made. J, uh, Jamie Demon made these, these uh, uh, statements really at the, the height of cryptomania, you know, when Bitcoin was hitting, I think it was at kind of $13,000, $14,000, and it had a very large, really a speculative run up. You know, and if you think about who Jamie Dimon is, I mean, he is running an organization with, you know, significant amounts of assets under management. He has really a, not just a fiduciary uh, requirement, um, but also, you know, in terms of running a business, he has a, um, a responsibility about how he communicates around certain things. So when you think about it, if you're to ask the question of a man that ha- is running a bank with $2.73 trillion under management, and you were to ask him about a highly speculative asset class that has seen a lot of retail investors 
being brought into the market. When one of your largest parts of your business is a high net worth individual uh, organization, a private bank, you know, where decisions and recommendations are being made by bankers on a daily basis, it was probably the right uh, prudent and cautionary approach for Jamie to actually kind of reflect about how Bitcoin is certainly an asset class that has some, some, some real developmental problems because of its immaturity. And then at the time, it was purely speculative uh, for, for many parties. And, you know, actually, it was borne out to be true insofar as, you know, one could argue that one of the reasons that there was the run up on this was through speculation ahead of the, uh, the launch of the, uh, the futures on the CBOE. So, I mean, I think that's kind of the, the more the reality. Uh, you know, there's a lot of um, narrative about how, you know, on one hand, Jamie Dimon has ramped up or certainly he's been a, he's, he's, he's set bare expectations on, on Bitcoin. But at the same time, JP Morgan has been seen to have a lot of Bitcoin as well. So the accusation is that effectively he's been speaking out of his uh, two sides of his mouth uh, for some kind of profit uh, related gain. To subscribe to that theory, you have to subscribe to the belief that Jamie would be really kind of putting the whole reputation of JP Morgan at risk in order to make a quick buck from, you know, from profiting in, in Bitcoin. And I, I don't think that's... No banker has ever done that. <laughs> it, it just, it'd be a strange asset class for him to pick, you know, given this is a rounding error on, um, you know, on, on JP Morgan's P&L. And I think more likely what you have to think about is that actually because of a lot of the banking rules, organizations aren't allowed to do proprietary trading. They're not allowed to effectively make trades, you know, uh, you know, and operate as a casino. So it's more likely that a large organization like JP Morgan is managing on behalf of its clients some allocation of Bitcoin, probably under a private banking relationship. And it just so happens that there was a sell that was performed under instruction of the client within the marketplace. I think that's probably a little bit more believable than JP Morgan is out to somehow hijack Bitcoin uh, because it's worried about how that's going to make inroad into its business. Um, you know, I think that's kind of more of an, a believable story is that Jamie has remarked about a certain situation around Bitcoin, has been warning off people gambling, and then also happens to have a position through a, a client relationship as well. I want to touch a little bit of what you said that it's a strange asset class to pick. I don't think it's a strange asset class at all because of how it's seen by the SEC at the time. It wasn't recognized by the SEC as a security. It was still up for debate. If it was Apple's, Bananas, or Bitcoin, those all don't fall under the SEC's oversight regulations. What does it matter then if Jamie Dimon said Apple's were going to the moon or Bananas were going to get wrecked or Bitcoin? So my question is to you then, if it's not falling under SEC's oversight and it's not under the responsibilities of a bank to act prudently, and Jamie's Diamond's opinions and comments did in fact move the price of Bitcoin, then JP Morgan or Jamie Diamond was found to have either Bitcoin personally or invested for their clients. That sounds like price manipulation to me, is it not? It, it, and I'm not saying that it wasn't. I think if, you know, if you're going to pull off the scam of a lifetime, that you would go up so publicly and try and hijack something that is so clearly being talked about, um, you know, gaining attention. I think that'd be quite a foolish move of someone to do with so much to risk. You know, I, I think, you know, bank, banks are finding other ruses that are probably a lot less public than, than, than this. Uh, but I mean, time will tell. I mean, it's, you could also argue that the, the run-up of the Bitcoin price corresponded to the launch of futures on the CBOE 
which is actually when institutional money could actually short Bitcoin. Um, so I mean, that's not to say that financial institutions are not somehow profiting from Main Street through using uh, you know, the advantageous kind of positions that they have. I just don't necessarily subscribe to the belief that, you know, JP Morgan has been, you know, running this kind of roller coaster um, really for the purposes of profiting and benefiting off this asset class and using Jamie Dimon as the mouthpiece to do that. I think that's that's a little bit of a stretch for me, just based on my, my understanding. All right. Just my two cents. Sure. And I want to move from this, but... To play it off as a rounding error of billions and billions of dollars, as Bitcoin market cap at the time was reaching $400 billion, it is not a rounding error or a little bit of money. I think to call it a little bit of money just because it's Bitcoin and not a mainstream currency or a store value is to downplay how much money was really invested and really involved in this. Mm-hmm. But let's move into the contradictory nature of JP Morgan for a moment. Sure. Bitcoin versus blockchain. I will entertain that Bitcoin does not mean blockchain and that when they made their stablecoin on the blockchain, that does not mean a volatile or speculative asset such as Bitcoin. And they want to do something more stable. What's your comments on that? First of all, I want to say that this is a great development for the industry and they should be absolutely applauded. Blockchain in any setting is difficult in terms of implementation. And even so, within a, uh, an innovation group within a bank, uh, innovation groups are notoriously starved of funds and attention. So the fact that JP Morgan was able to innovate, get something out there, and be able to really link it into their overall strategy and operating model is, is no small feat whatsoever. Um, and I think it's good for the industry. There's been a lot of attention that's been attracted uh, based on this announcement. You know, I've, I, I was recently in a conversation with um, the head of blockchain of one of the, the, the large international banks who said that their phone has been running off the hook uh, ever since his announcement from senior executives wanting to understand exactly what's going on here. Uh, so that's, that's, that's ostensibly good because that means that senior execs are going to pay attention uh, in banks and it also helps move on the debate. Now, in terms of what JP Morgan is trying to do here, they are trying to do a number of things. And it's something that's reflected not just purely at JP Morgan, but all organizations. And that is how you improve settlement, which is a large problem in the market. Uh, When you look at settlement, what we're really talking about is uh, the exchange of a financial instrument for money and the getting the money to the right people in a way where you're managing the risk. Uh, And that's hitherto been a very centralized approach because you needed someone to take the risk of non-delivery. And that's why we have central settlement parties today that's why we have large institutions like uh, JP Morgan and why you have the DTCC that processes over a quadrillion dollars of uh, instruments every year. So really what kind of JP Morgan is trying to do is solve a number of those challenges around settlement. Because settlement, in many cases, is slow because of arcane systems and processes. And they're really looking at a number of areas. They're looking at it from the perspective of institutional investors where they want to have institutional payments uh, made more quickly, for example, securities transactions. They're also looking to help organizations with very large treasury services as well. Uh, And you can imagine there's subsidiaries across the world, and they need to ensure that their money is being optimized on the balance sheet. And then finally, they want to um, work with international payments as well, where there are large corporations that have large payments that have to be moved around the world. 
And all of these processes, uh, or certainly aspects of financial services, tend to be arcane, as I said before, and slow. So what JP Morgan is looking at is to use this technology to speed up aspects of settlements. And this isn't something that's new. For example, the Juno blockchain uh, that was uh, one of the first blockchains that uh, JP Morgan uh, attempted was actually used in a settlement process to move money around between different areas of JP Morgan itself. So what we're talking about here is a next iteration of this. So settlement, in the end of the day, is really about updating accounts. It's about updating what I owe you, uh, what, you know, what the balance I hold with you and you hold with me. Now, the challenge with this is that when you're in the, the, the realm of digital cash, you need to think about who is going to be using that digital cash and what that really represents. You know, digital cash is fine until you actually need to get your hands on the real money itself. And that's kind of really the last mile of settlement. Now, the reason that's important is it's one thing to have an account balance digitally updated. It's another thing to actually have that money sitting in your account. And this is something that a number of organizations have been struggling with for a while, and there are a number of initiatives already in motion. For example, if you look at Utility Settlement Coin, they're trying to solve a, about an 80 to $100 million problem with settlement. And that's really the moving of, at the end of the day, money that is owed to each other in terms of institutions into real money. So part of the challenges you get with settlement today is that um, usually the uh, settlement occurs at end of day, which means that you do not necessarily know how much you owe a counterparty until right at the end of the day when you finally cash out. Uh, What's more, with very complicated, sophisticated uh, investment banks, you may actually be long to a particular client in one asset class, short in another asset class, but then that could be completely different all over the world, but it could be the same counterparty. So if you think about it from a balance sheet efficiency perspective, you may be holding uh, $100 million in reserve because JP Morgan may be wanting to settle with Goldman because it knows that it owes Goldman that amount of money. However, that just might be a purely product-driven, geo-driven view. It might be possible that Goldman actually owes that $100 million in a different asset class that's been settled in a different country. So you can imagine the efficiency play here. JP Morgan actually knew at any point in time exactly what the net balance was. That means they wouldn't be holding collateral and reserve to be able to then settle some of those debts that actually they're gonna net out anyway. So that's kind of really the opportunity. It's the ability to get a real-time view across product and across geography against your counterparties. With that, you can do some significant optimization as to how you hold your money, effectively the treasury management. And because you are holding this in a digital way, you can settle not necessarily at the end of a day or end of a T plus three cycle. You can do that intraday, which means that you can at any point in time know exactly how much you need to uh, settle and then for manage your, uh, your balance sheets. So that's kind of really the opportunity if you're a bank from a balance sheet perspective, then you can multiply some of these benefits across Uh, the clients that JP Morgan has as well, because they can settle more quickly for payments. And now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn. When I find it's time to make a hire for my small business, naturally I want to find the best person for the job. 
Odds are that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier for me to get a quality matched candidate who makes the most sense for the role that I'm hiring for. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match the people that fit my role best. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for, which means when I use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, my matches are based on so much more than just a resume. My LinkedIn jobs matches are based on skills and background, but also interests, activity, and passion. They must have a passion for making the world a better place and for blockchain technology. Customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires. That's why we use LinkedIn jobs. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash crypto and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash crypto linkedin.com slash c-r-y-p-t-o and now back to the show i think a lot of people in the crypto space is skeptical of jp morgan however when i was in f denver a lot of people were happy that jp morgan came into the blockchain space and they felt that having a big institution such as jp morgan getting into the space is validation to what they have been working on for so long but i want to go into something else you said here sure you said real-time view and you said that a lot of transactions are settled with Swift at the end of the day. Let's go into, for a minute, a one-on-one on a couple systems that are currently used in the mainstream transactions, such as Swift and R3. And also... You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Talk about what JP Morgan's blockchain is designed to do. I want to know about JP Morgan's blockchain and the TPS of their blockchain. I want to know about this because blockchain is notoriously slow. How can their blockchain manage and have real-time data, as you said, if blockchain technology is inherently slow tech? No, great. These are, these are really great questions. So let's take a little look at uh, the landscape of organizations today, both in terms of existing technology that's been uh, present within the infrastructure of financial services today, as well as some of the new players that are looking at uh, blockchain. So on the uh, on one hand, you have R3, which is a consortium of 100 banks uh, that have developed a distributed ledger, which is a derivative of uh, blockchain technology. And that was developed in collaboration with these financial institutions uh, to look to build a rail that would allow these financial institutions to perform blockchain uh, transactions, but in a way where that transaction rail was built in collaboration with all the needs of the institutions themselves. Uh, another notable party is SWIFT, and that stands for Society of Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. This is an organization founded uh, 46 years ago, uh, and it has about 11,000 financial institutions across 200 countries and territories today. And they send about 15 million messages per day. So this is really the backbone of how payments uh, are made uh, and settled across the world today. So R3 recently linked up with uh, SWIFT to effectively provide a settlement rail which allows actual transaction messages to be sent to settle in accounts. And this kind of really goes to the, the heart of the, uh, the settlement discussion here, which is it's one thing to message uh, between parties the fact that each party owes each other uh, some form of ma- money. It's another thing to actually settle that in real money within the accounts of organizations themselves. So you'll see a number of announcements, whether it's R3, whether it's JP Morgan, of organizations looking to plug in some of that plumbing to physically allow the uh, accounts which are being held by certain institutions to be updated uh, with actual fiat currency. And that's the big trend, is how you translate the digital world of digital cash into the physical one. Moving into the second part of that question, we were talking about the settlements And we were also talking about keeping an up-to-date balance and checking your balance in real time during the day. And since blockchain is slow tech, how can it it actually do that? And also, you had a blog with the title, JP Morgan Coin, a feat of engineering or marketing. So if we could, can we talk about why or how it would be engineering or marketing? And does that have to do with anything with transaction speeds or the inherent qualities of this blockchain? Great question. So... As we think about SWIFT, for example, as we said, this is an organization that processes 15 million messages a day. Now, some of the fastest blockchains, you know, which Kadena uh, claims uh, to, to have uh, certainly the fastest one, uh, can process about 8,000 transactions a second. So you're, you're still uh, going to struggle around, um, you know, the kind of domain that SWIFT has at the moment. And I think you know, what's worth bearing in mind is that Blockchains have a very specific part to play in the ecosystem today. It's not necessarily for fully high volume transactions, but it certainly plays a role in demonstrating uh, to a range of participants exactly 
the balances um, at any point in time, the consolidated balances across many organizations. So while we may not be able to get a kind of a per second view of balances, you can at least batch up a lot of this into a snapshot at a given point in time. There's a snapshot that's far more real time than end of the day. So there's always a balance with blockchain of, of using it for what it's best at, which is a ledger of all transactions with full history, full, full auditability uh, across all parties that all parties can see. So with that, is it engineering or marketing? Because like you just said, with some of the fastest blockchains, they still can't keep up with Swift. And like you said earlier, Swift's use case is different than JP Morgan's intended use case. And still, it needs to be closed at the end of the day with faster throughput. So is this just marketing or do they really have a solution for institutional users? So let's talk a little bit about um, what the JP Morgan coin is. It's, it's two pieces. The first one is settlement. The second one is a stable coin. And I think on the first point, there is absolute value and utility in the coin insofar as we know that settlement is a very important uh, piece of the jigsaw to resolve. And Quorum's technology, as it's been set out here, will do that. The second point, which is around the stable coin, you know, I think kind of really it's been misconstrued exactly what the stable coin is. If one thinks about stable coin from the traditional sense, and I'm sure some of your colleagues in East Denver have been have touched on this, a stable coin is a cryptocurrency that anyone can buy or sell, and it will maintain its value. Uh, so for every $1 of uh, USD stable coin, I can redeem that for $1. So insofar as any of JP Morgan's clients, when they've deposited money and received coins in return, are able to go back to JP Morgan and redeem a coin for a dollar, that's not really kind of the sense of how uh, stable coins are being talked about in the wider area of the, of, of, of the market. And the way that I like to, to explain this is it's a little bit like you go into a casino, you change your dollars for chips. And then you can, you can use those chips interchangeably on any of the tables, blackjack, roulette, etc. You know, the stable coin is the piece that says whatever you have in chips, at the end of the day, you can turn those back into real dollars for the same amount as you have chips. And as we've seen, you know, in crypto at the moment, crypto is notoriously volatile, which means that it's unlikely that will happen unless you have a stable coin. And that volatility is just not appropriate for institutional clients because they need to have some kind of stability and to hedge uh, that market risk around um, the exchange risk. So that was the intention of stablecoins is to provide that stability. Now, what JP Morgan has effectively done here is they have indeed provided a mechanism where you can turn your real money into digital cash, a coin, if you will, and then peg that. So there's always that lean that if you go to JP Morgan, you can always redeem that. But the problem is, because this is a enterprise uh, technology, it's a permission technology, you can only do this with JP Morgan and only within the four walls of JP Morgan if you're a client. So you have to have an account with JP Morgan. You have to have a quorum blockchain or compatibility. And then you have to have that business relationship with JP Morgan as well and deposit that money in the first place to get coins instead. So I think that's kind of some of the limitations that you have now, whereas I think, you know, the purists around stablecoins would say that the point of a stablecoin is that this is generally accepted by all parties and redeemable by all parties at any point in time. So effectively, really what we're talking about here is an API call, where an API is really a, a digital service that you can call programmatically 
and it will perform a business transaction as part of calling it. So really kind of what we're talking about here is an API call, not necessarily a kind of currency in the true sense of the world. And I don't think that necessarily diminishes what JP Morgan's done at all. Um, you've got to start somewhere. And why not start by affecting change with your clients, with your PNL uh, and your technology? But in terms of a stable coin, you know, I, I think it's not entirely correct to talk about it in the same guise as we would do with other stable coins, uh, such as you know, the work that Circle has done um, and Gemini has done around their stable coins. What are the threats to Ripple XRP? Because isn't this what Ripple coin was supposed to be doing? It was interesting to see, uh, just from a market perspective, whether uh, you know this coin would affect you know, the price of XRP, which is uh, an affiliation of, of Ripple, as it's the native token that's used on the network. And surprisingly, there wasn't much from a kind of a market perspective, no significant change in price. And, and I think that's because you know they're, they're 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 approaching the problem from two different ends. If what Ripple is trying to do is to create a network that any organization can join and effectively uh, transact by providing a, an exchange profile between um, two currencies uh, and the ability to route to it. What JP Morgan is really doing is to say, if you bank with us and you have an account with us and a business relationship, you're able to deposit money with us and we will represent it as a, uh, a digital token that you can use uh, with us, and then increasingly within a network of other organizations that bank with us. So I think those are two different sides of, of the coin, if you will. They're trying to get to that, that similar kind of place. But I think JP Morgan is very much going to take it from the perspective of they are the product, you know, which is their banking relationships and their accounts. Whereas Ripple is saying the product is the network that anyone can join um, that's uh, agnostic to um, you know, one, one bank in particular. Now, it's a big question as to how this will play out over time, because there are, the, SWIFT has been around for a long time. It has survived many different challenges, in particular some recent hacks. But because SWIFT is so embedded and ingrained in the ecosystem, and it does work, albeit being slow and clunky, um, I think it's going to be very difficult to pull them out because there's a large risk in, in, in swapping from incumbent technology. Uh, there are some recourse challenges around technology such as Ripple as well. You know, I wouldn't say that your money could be lost in the mail, but there are certainly, you know, some 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 questions about what happens in, under certain circumstances as as a transaction flows through. So I think you know we're still very early on in the whole development of this ecosystem, which is why I don't think you've seen a negative reaction from from Ripple uh, at the moment. Okay, so but why now? Because we already chatted already, JP Morgan was not friendly to blockchain in 2017, 2018. So why release this tech now in 2019 and not 2020 or 2021? No, no, that is a good question. You know, I think this is going to very much part of their roadmap. It just so happens that as the technology has uh, matured, uh, the question now is less about the base technology, the pipes, if you will. It's now about taking what's being built, these, these blockchain platforms, getting adoption, and then connecting it into the existing infrastructure. So I think kind of that's why it's just the right time because that base layer has now reached a level of maturity and adoption. Just my two cents again. I am always under the belief that Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, stablecoins such as DAI are not going to be the driving force to 
cryptocurrency integration. That's going to be institutions like maybe JP Morgan or Facebook that's going to lead the charge by putting cryptocurrency or some sort of way to transact monetary value or value across uh, their, their ecosystems by putting some sort of coin on their blockchains or work within their ecosystems, allowing for faster mass adoption. Then Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, DAI will hop on board and you'll be able to atomic swap between the institutional coins and these other cryptocurrencies. Do you think JP Morgan coin will have BTC or LTC or XRP integration? And do you think that JP coin will ever go public for consumer use? Hmm. It's an interesting question. I mean, there's, there's, there's always been a little bit of a standoff between this kind of permissioned blockchain world, this kind of this walled garden, if you will, and the public network. You know, I mean, clearly you have Bitcoin Maximus who believe that, you know, a, a private permission network is no more than a database and believe that, you know, really the, the true path, you know, of, of uh, digital currencies can only be in a public network with, you know, pseudonymity and, um, you know, uh, full access to everybody. I think you know, the, the the reality of what we're seeing, you know, I'd agree with you, Matthew. Is is it starts off with institutions saying we're going to make it easier for our clients to do business with us, because in the end, it has to start with a very specific business case. You know, we're going to save you money by reducing settlement time. We're going to consolidate all your positions so you have trade compression and a better balance sheet management. You know, we're going to optimize your treasury management capabilities. Things of that kind of nature are always going to come first because that's where the money is. That's where the pain is with the institutional investors of, of JP Morgan. Now, from there, they'll want to expand. They'll want to have some kind of interoperability with other organizations within that ecosystem, most likely adjacent to JP Morgan's current interests. So I think you'll see more buy side, more exchange providers. And then eventually, that is going to have to reach out and, uh, and incorporate additional aspects. Now, as to kind of when it will go fully public, you know, I, I think is anyone's guess. Probably what you'll see is it's going to be more of a secondary market aspect where you're going to find that there are organizations that are um, providing a, a pair of JPM coin against Ethereum, for example, rather than JP Morgan saying, you know, we're now going to provide you know, this, this, this pair, you know, and, and support the trading of it. So you know, I think it'll always kind of be on the, on the kind of the adjacency of JP Morgan's existing business, uh, where they're really focusing on making it easier to do business between their clients and themselves. Do you think there'll ever be smart contract integration with JP Morgan coin? I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, if you look at their frequently asked questions, um, there's a question that's fairly similar, which is, is, is mentioned on this topic. You know, and, and their response is effectively, you know, this is something that could be considered later. Um, so I think it's not outside the realms of possibility. You know, I think if you look at where the direction of blockchain is going, it is clearly going into this hybrid model. And what I mean by that is that there is a public element and a private back office element or permission element. And that really the true utility of blockchain is the ability to marry those two components together. So I think it's, it's an inevitability that this hybrid uh, technology platform is where we'll get to. And that's kind of why Kadena uh, has both a private technology and surely to, to launch a public chain as well, is that we do believe that you do need to have that crossover because there's a lot of value that you get from providing um, the full utility to everyone in the world, but then also the protections that institutional organizations require from a permission chain as well. 
Second to last question of the day is going to be more of a general question. Before I ask that, I want to say thank you for giving us a a 101 on JPM coin, JP coin, or JP Morgan coin, whatever it's going to be called. And I feel that JP Morgan coming into the space right now and building on blockchain tech is what we needed at this moment. We needed a confidence boost. We needed the builders to see that what they're doing isn't always wasn't always in vain. And I think the space needed this during the bear market because this is the push to, that's going to keep us moving forward to say, hey, what we're doing is important. Because look, if JP Morgan is going to build on it, we have it right here. We are doing important work. But my question is, what do you think of the crypto space at the moment? Are you bullish? Certainly, you know, I think a lot of the folks in this, in this space are kind of licking their wounds from the most recent uh, run-up and then uh, the kind of rundown of, of, of prices and valuations. But I think in a, overall, we're actually in a far better place than a lot of, a lot of people uh, would necessarily kind of give credit for. You know, clearly, we're seeing a move towards the classification of tokens. It gets rid of a lot of gray that we've seen before in terms of things like utility tokens. You know, we're seeing the emergence of this security token asset class. And we're beginning to see uh, major players starting to really enter this in a deliberate and considered way. And the SEC uh, providing far clearer guidance around uh, the treatment of, of certain asset classes, you know, within the digital space. Now, clearly, we're in a cash-constrained environment as well. So a lot of the projects that may have got funding before uh, certainly will struggle, you know, in terms of their next round. And that's kind of why I'm looking at organizations that have enterprise use cases, because that's the really difficult part of this whole piece is how do you make a statement that's clear uh, to an enterprise, which is around minimizing risk, optimizing their, their balance sheet, making it easier to do business with them, and uh, improving the ability to, to settle. And I think you can count in your hands the amount of blockchain companies that are solving this with real-world use cases today. So that, that's how I'd, I'd categorize the market is really we're seeing a movement towards quality and a stratification. So I'm, I'm a bull because I believe we have many of those components already in place today. Thank you very much for that. Crypto 101 has positioned itself to be one of the first stops for people on their journey into the crypto space, hence the name Crypto 101. If somebody was listening to this episode and this was their first episode they were listening to on their journey into the crypto space, what would you want them to know, sir? So certainly the way that I became educated in this space was to voraciously read everything I could in this space. And a lot of times it stems from just real idle curiosity, reading from one article that takes you to another that takes you to another. So, you know, this can be from following uh, folks on, on, on Twitter. Uh, you know, I encourage you to, fo uh, to, to follow folks both in the, kind of the private enterprise blockchain side of things, as well as on Medium posts as well, and also kind of, uh, attending meetups. The information is certainly out there, and there's a lot of discourse as well. So as part of this, you're going to form a, an opinion. You know, are you going to be a Bitcoin maximalist? Are you going to be a permissioned um, blockchain maximalist? And all of it's going to depend on where you know you you started life. You know, in your career. You know, we're on the technology side, we're not. So I'd encourage you just really to to, to use the resources that exist at the moment, whether they're physical or virtual, and let your curiosity take you down a path and follow where the information is today. Ben Jessel, head of growth at Cadena. Thank you very much 
for coming on Crypto 101, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Ben, I want to say thank you very much for coming on and giving us a 101 on JP Morgan Coin. In our next episode of Crypto 101, I want to ask the question, very simple question. Why should we continue to trust smaller exchanges or startup exchanges when it seems as though every smaller exchange loses funds eventually through the hacks, poor OPSEC, internal disruptions, or death? So I sat down with the founders of two smaller exchanges, my crypto wallet out of Australia, and Agora Trade, a non-custodial decentralized exchange. And I asked them basic questions. One, how you work and how do you plan to create confidence so people use your platform? Those are two very interesting conversations and I can't wait to share those with you. So look forward to the next episode of Crypto 101. And before we go, like always, check out Apogee Crypto. That's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com. The best place for your real-time prices. That's the place I use to check my bags, your Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dogecoin, Ripple, or whatever else you're holding. It's a place to check your prices and so much more. And thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.